0: Y'all, what's going on? You guys, good? Hey, Lucy, I don't know if you ever come back here because we've mentioned you so many times. If you're an introvert at all like me, you're like, great. This is my first and last time here, at young adults. But hey, for all the new people that like showed up tonight of all nights during like a snowstorm when at like 5:30, we're like, do we cancel tonight? Do we not? I don't know. We want to have service. We love it. Thank you so much for coming and for like hanging out and being here. Um, I, I say this every week, but it's because I mean it. I'm well aware that for somebody who's, it's their first time coming to young adults or maybe like church overall. It's like a scary thing to step into a church, like an atmosphere, an environment where like you're not sure if you believe all the same things that this place believes and that they're singing about some dude that raised from the dead and like, you know, like talking about miracles and heaven and all that. Like that can be a weird, like intimidating thing. And so just to like let you know, like we're glad that you're here, like sincerely. Um, You're not going to have to sign anything. Okay, one person can clap for that. One person's glad you're here. We're not going to have you sign anything or drink anything, like any Kool-Aid on the way out or anything like that. We're genuinely just glad you're here. And um, you don't have to necessarily buy in or believe everything that we believe, but I don't want to trick you. I'm going to unashamedly talk about Jesus tonight. I believe that Jesus is the most incredible person on planet Earth. I believe he's more than a person. He's God. In the flesh, come to reunite us with the Father, to pay the price for our sins, so that you can have life and joy and peace, both now and forever. And so, it's awesome that we get to uh, talk about Jesus tonight. Um, I'm kind of on the fence on whether I want you to stay standing or sit. Take a seat, real quick. Take a seat. There we go. But tonight, we're going to talk about Jesus, and we're actually going to kick off a brand new series we're calling A People of God a people of God. I think so often in church, we talk so much about God's plan and God's purpose for uh, our lives as individuals. And that's great. God has a plan for your life. He cares about who you marry, what school you go to, you know, what city you live in. I think that's awesome. But seldomly do we talk about God's plan and God's purpose for us as a community of believers following after Jesus. And I believe from the bottom of my heart that when we get a picture, when we catch God's vision for what he wants from a people set apart to be his people, a people of God, when we get this, when we catch this vision for not just us as an individual, but us as a community, I genuinely believe so much more of life and following Jesus and honestly, so much more of scripture makes sense. So much more of the Old Testament makes sense when you understand what God is doing and why he wants a set-apart people for himself. So much of the law, Leviticus, Numbers, all those books that we tend to skip in our Bible reading plans, like so much of that makes sense when we understand that God wants a people set apart for himself, the prophets, with all their crazy, weird visions and dreams and all the things that they're seeing So much of that makes sense when we understand the concept of God wanting a community of people set apart the letters of Paul. When Paul seems to be writing these letters and giving us all these different rules on how we need to act and behave, and it's like, Paul, have have you ever met Jesus? He seemed pretty like free and loose with all this, and now you're like telling me all these, like so much of Paul makes sense. When we understand God's heart and his plans for a desire to have a people set apart unto himself. And I really believe that when we see this and we tap into God's heart for what he wants from a people of God, we'll see that his desire is to reach the world through the local church. And so tonight we're going to jump in to the Bible. We're going to read from John chapter 17. It'll be up on the screen. Um, And this is a really cool section of scripture. Anybody old school bring a leather Bible? Anybody? Okay, we got some leather Bible people. Hey, if you don't have a Bible, ask Zach. He'll buy you one, okay? He'll get you a leather Bible, name engraved on it, whatever you want. Ask Zach. The sky is the limit. Zach makes tons of money. So, Lucy, he's going to Venmo you after service. That's how generous Zach is. We're going to go to John chapter 17, and uh, it's a really cool section of Scripture, and here's why. Jesus is about to set in motion um, the plan for his death and resurrection um, Jesus he wasn't like captured and killed against his will the Bible says Jesus says that I give up my own life um, it wasn't like a surprise Jesus knew what was gonna happen he did it intentionally because he loved you and Jesus in these moments is about to set all that into motion and what's really cool in John 16 and 17 Jesus prays a prayer that we get a very intimate like glimpse into more than kind of any other moment Jesus has ever prayed and in John chapter 17 Jesus actually prays for us like he prays for you and for me not just for like the the people kind of in his life in that moment he actually prays for all of us and it's really cool and so we're about to read that together and um I'm going to read out of the amplified version of the bible and I don't know for for the two of you that are in theology one at CCU and care about this um (sighs) The Amplified version, it's, it comes from the NASB, which I believe at the time it was written was the most accurate word-for-word translation of the Bible from Greek and Hebrew to English. But the problem is because it's different cultures and different languages, we can translate the Bible literally and still not get the full picture that the author intended. So the Amplified just kind of takes the intention and the meaning behind the literal translation and adds it to that. So don't email me because that's actually happened before. John 17, uh, starting in verse 14 out of the Amplified Bible, says this. It says, I have given to them, this is Jesus praying, I have given to them your word, the message that you gave me. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world and they don't belong to the world, just as I am not of the world and don't belong to it. I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them and protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them in the truth. Set them apart for your purposes and make them holy. Your word is truth. Isn't it funny that so much of our world, even sometimes within the church, God's word is like come under attack. Can we believe it? Can we trust it? Jesus said, your word is truth. Just as you commissioned and sent me into the world, I also have commissioned and sent them believers into the world. For their sake, I sanctify myself to do your will, so that they also may be sanctified, set apart, dedicated, made holy in your truth. I do not pray for these alone. It is for their sakes only that I make this request, but also for all of those, this is you and me, Jesus is praying for all of those who will ever believe and trust in me through their message. That's crazy. Jesus prayed for you. That's insane. That they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, so that the world may believe without any doubt that you sent me. The title of my message, if you're taking notes, and I haven't used this like corny dad joke in a while, if you take notes, you get a bigger house in heaven, you get a yard, you get an upgrade from a townhome to a single-family unit, But real estate in heaven's expensive like Denver. So don't get your hopes up too high, okay? (laughs) No. You're like, shut up. Just, what's the title? (laughs) A people set apart. A people set apart. Let's pray. And we're going to jump in. Father God, we love you so much. Man, what an honor it is to come, even with the weather, the way it is, all the temptations and excuses to not come and gather with your people. God, we're here. And it's not because we like to sing, I don't know, church songs. It's not because we want to hear a message. That stuff is all great, but we just love sitting in your presence. We love resting in the presence of Jesus because when we're gathered, Jesus is here. And when Jesus is here, miracles are in the room. When Jesus is here, bondages that have held us back forever break because of his presence and his name. And so, Jesus, I'm going to do all that I can do. But I believe that you can do exceedingly and abundantly more than I could ever ask or believe or imagine. And that's why we're gathered here today to meet with you. Jesus, in your name we pray. And everybody in this room said, amen and amen. I think that most of us in this room, if we're honest, have this deep, intrinsic desire in our soul to be different. Now, I know right now my wife is going to say when we get in the car to go back home, I don't want to be different. I don't care about being different because she just doesn't at all. I don't know why, but she doesn't care at all about that. But most of us in this room, myself included, have this deep, like, intrinsic desire to be different, to stand out, to be seen, to be recognized as unique or as an individual. Many of us in this room have this deep desire to be different than the crowd or whoever. And I I don't know if you've taken this or not, I am an Enneagram 4 um, which is like the individualist, listen some people like love the enneagram, some people hate it, like the Enneagram is great, it's not the Bible, um I think that some I think that some people actually like kind of like i 'm an Enneagram seven, and they like form their personality to fit what it says that was a seven uh, yeah. <laughs> The Enneagram is great. It's not the Bible. It's a tool. Use it how you may. Um, but I'm a four on the Enneagram, which is an individualist. And there are two deep desires in my heart or, or deep things that quote unquote motivate me, I guess. It's this deep feeling that something in me is internally flawed. That's depressing, right? <laughs> and uh, and uh, don't worry, I'm going to get counseling after this. Um, and I have this deep desire to be unique to stand out, to be creative and express myself as an individual. I have this deep desire to sort of like stand out from the crowd and be unique. And I don't know why, but this has genuinely been true since I was a little kid. Like, you know, I'm not like super bought into the Enneagram hype, but it genuinely has given me like language to express some things that I have felt ever since I was a little kid. I've always had this desire to be different. And the way as a kid that I would express my desire to be unique and an individual is I would do it through shoes. I've always loved shoes. I have genuinely always been obsessed with shoes. Like way before preachers and sneakers was a thing, way before like the term colorway was like a thing. Like I genuinely have always loved shoes and I've always loved having different shoes than everybody else. Like ask my wife, like I'll get an Instagram ad for this like super rare, weird shoe that nobody knows. And I'm like, I swear if you tell anybody about these shoes that I'm saving them to get, I'm gonna be so ticked off. Because I want them, and I don't want anybody else to have them. And the second I see them on somebody else's feet, I'm not going to want them anymore. So just let me have my thing, okay? And as a kid, genuinely, like I remember the Nike Shocks. You guys remember Nike Shocks? Boing, boing, but bo- Like Vince Carter, like supposed to make you jump higher. Really all it did was give you shin splints. But like the Nike Shocks. Man, everybody on my eighth grade basketball team got the Nike Shocks. and like, I'm going to jump higher. I'm going to dunk the ball. I'm like, you are... Four foot six, you are not even coming close to touching the net. But buy your Nike shocks because you want to know why. While well, y'all suckers got shocks, I got the Reebok pumps. What do y'all know about the pumps? That's some old school stuff. Like y'all can like bounce around all you want, but can you do this? Pump up my shoes so my tongue gets a little tighter. Walk around and then after the game, drop six points and think I'm awesome. I just. It literally had a button where you would, like, deflate the air in the top. Man, Reebok needs to bring the pumps back. They have, like, a new version. They are ugly. Like, they need, like, the old school pumps back. But I wanted to be different. Like, my friends would get, like, the new Kobe's or the T-Max or whatever, and I was rocking the Iversons. Like, I I had, like, a Reebok thing now that I think of it, like, growing up as a kid. But... I just wanted to be different. And even to this day, I don't know why, I just like intrinsically don't try to go with the trends. Like I recognize the trends. I just don't like try to buy into them because I don't want to be like everybody else. Like y'all remember the Adidas like revival that was happening a couple years ago, like the NMDs and the alpha boosts and all those different things. Anybody Adidas? Never owned a single pair of Adidas during that. Why? One, checks over stripes every time, but shout out to Drake. But um, no, but I just didn't want to be like everybody else. Like I had this intrinsic desire to be different. Like as a kid, I even remember, this is true, I had this fear, not of growing up and and being old, not of failing, not of being poor. I had this intrinsic fear of growing up to be normal. (laughs) I didn't want to be normal. I want to stand out. I want to be different. In some way. Now, a lot of this, as you're sitting here listening, you might be thinking, this probably stems from a lot of unhealth in his, <laughs> in his life. But I, I genuinely do believe that as Jesus followers, when we, when we say yes to God, when we say yes to following Jesus, there's this deep desire that starts to well in us, that we know we were intrinsically created and made to be different. We were made to stand out, to, to be unique from the world and the culture around us. When we, when we start to follow Jesus, we know deep in our soul, to borrow the language of Jesus, that we have now been created to be set apart, to be sanctified. If you want to write down an old school Bible term, to be sanctified, which just means to be set apart, to be set apart from our culture to be set apart from the way the world thinks and acts and does certain things. We were created by God to be set apart, to be different. And this is not just because you're unique and you're special. Like No, this is a very huge part of the mission and the purpose of God in this world to form for himself a people of his own. And as I was writing this message and I was thinking, if you've ever found yourself, Tired or exhausted in your faith. If you've ever kind of found yourself kind of in this weird little funk or this area where you're like, I'm just tired. I don't know what to believe. If I'm being honest, I'm even questioning some things in our faith, in my faith. Like I feel like I'm always trying to just walk this line of like being Christian, but not being too Christian because I don't want to be like super weird, and I still want like my my friends to like me. Like I want to walk this line of like following Jesus, but she's really attractive, and my friends like want to go to like. If you ever just find yourself exhausted and you're trying to balance like pre Jesus life and and new jesus life can i just encourage you man maybe you're exhausted because you need to stop trying to balance your life and you need to accept the fact and embrace that god has called you to be different and set apart for him and for his purposes now this idea of being set apart it's not just jesus's idea in john 17 technically it's Jesus's idea because Jesus is God, but this idea of of God wanting a people set apart for himself is actually one of the major narratives throughout the entire Bible. It's one of the major narratives throughout all of Scripture. When we call ourselves a people set apart, this isn't a church's reaction to culture or a response to culture that is anti-Jesus or anti-faith. Let's all go huddle and do our own little weird Jesus thing and not look out at anybody outside of the windows. This isn't a reaction of a church to the big, bad world out there. No, if you pay attention to the narrative of Scripture from the very beginning, God has been setting apart and setting aside a people unto himself for a very specific purpose. And just so you believe me, we're actually going to look at every single book of the Bible and trace this line. No, we're not going to look at every single book of the Bible. Some of y'all are like, "What it's... It's 7.45, like I got It's snowing outside. <laughs> but we are, we're going to look at major parts of Scripture all throughout the Old Testament, showing that from the very beginning of time, God has wanted a people set apart for himself. If you're new to this uh, Christian thing, I'm going to tell you a story from the book of Genesis. Many of you know this. Uh, we call it The fall. God has created heaven and earth and he has created this beautiful paradise where humanity can thrive in God's vision of what it means to be a human and to work alongside God and cultivate the earth and bring about the goodness of God throughout the earth. But humanity in this garden rebels against God and chooses to define good and evil for ourselves. We say, God, thank you so much for the space. Thank you so much for the place. I appreciate everything you did. But I actually think I have a better vision of what is good and what is bad. It's it's signified, the image of it is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And humanity in this moment rebels against God's definition of right and wrong, good and bad, and starts to define right and wrong for ourselves. And for the first time within the history of humanity, a fracture occurs and sin enters into the picture. And this relationship, this unadulterated, unhindered relationship that we had with God is no longer there because sin is now in the mix. But I want you to see God's initial and first reaction to to sin in in our world. What does God God do? What What is one of his very first reactions to the fall of humanity? He finds a guy named Abram, who soon goes on to be called Abraham. And he says, Abram, hey, come over here. You and me. I'm choosing you. I'm picking you. I'm picking your family. And from you, I'm going to form a nation. I'm going to make a people set apart for myself. And I'm going to bless you. Abram, come, come with me. I'm going to make you a people unto myself. And through your family, through your lineage, I'm going to bring my son into this world who will be the savior of all humanity. In Genesis 12, God says this. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. God's first instinct is to find a person, set them apart to form a people for his own purpose. Sounds a lot like Jesus's prayer for us in John chapter 17. Well, the blessing takes place. Abraham and his family continue to grow and multiply, and eventually they form this people known as Israel. And a famine kind of happens in in Israel's territory, so they go to this place, this place. They go to the country of Egypt. (laughs) Egypt, not this mystical place. They go to Egypt. And they go to Egypt because Egypt is flourishing. And they go to Egypt. Uh, One of Abraham's descendants is one of the most powerful men in all of Egypt. And they get this land to themselves within Egypt. But then uh, I think his his name's Joseph. He he dies. He passes away. And the Pharaoh that, that comes after doesn't remember Joseph, doesn't recognize him. But he sees that the people of Israel are growing and flourishing. And he gets freaked out, and he kind of has like a little counsel, and he's like, listen, if these people continue to thrive, one day if they rebel against us, there's going to be nothing we can do, and they're going to overtake us, and they're going to overthrow us, and so we're going to make them slaves. And so Pharaoh and all of Egypt make all the Israelite people slaves. And you kind of know the story. God raises up an Israelite who was kind of born within the Egyptian culture. His name was Moses. And Moses goes to Pharaoh, and he's like, hey, God really does not like this whole slavery deal. He doesn't like you like having his people that he has set apart as slaves, so you need to let him go. And Pharaoh's like, yeah, sure thing. No, that's not going to happen. And uh, God's like, okay, if you want to play hardball, I can play hardball. And so uh, he, he launches, God launches all of these plagues on Egypt. So, and all of these plagues are actually weirdly matched to one of the gods of Egypt that they worship. So like the sun, the sun goes dark, they worship the god of the sun. And so like God launches all these plagues on Egypt. But what's interesting is while all these plagues are taking place, there's an area within Egypt called Goshen, which is the area where, where Israel lived. And we don't have tons of detail, but from the little we can read, as God is launching these plagues on Egypt to get his people free, the area of Goshen is rather untouched. So God has a people that he has set apart and that he blesses and that he keeps safe throughout the history of the Bible. So then eventually, parting of the Red Sea, Israel goes through. They come to this very famous mountain called Mount Sinai, and it is... You know, in in Jewish culture, it is one of the most significant moments in the entire Old Testament. And it is here where God famously gives the people of Israel, his people, his set-apart people, ten commandments. He actually gives them 613, but for the sake, uh, he gives them ten prominent ones that sort of like encompass all the other 613 commandments. And we're going to read all 613, and hopefully you'll have them memorized. by the next time we gather, we're going to quiz you. No, but God gives them these rules. He gives them what is known as the law. He gives them what is known as the Ten Commandments. And I was reading this and researching this. I'm like, why? Why did God, who has set apart a people, give them a law, give them these commandments to live by? And I think a lot of times when we hear law, when we hear Old Testament, when we hear Ten Commandments, we get this picture that's an incorrect picture of why God gave it to these people. We think that God gave Israel the law so they could know all the rules they had to follow to make God happy. We think that God said, hey, here's the law, here's the Ten Commandments, here's the 613 other laws I want you to know. Read these, know these, memorize these. If you do these, I'm happy. If you don't, I'm ticked, and I'm going to punish you. That's kind of like our instinct when we, when we hear Old Testament, we hear the law. But honestly, that wasn't really the point of why God gave his set-apart people the law Remember what God was doing ever since the beginning in Genesis. He's making a people. He's setting a people apart for himself. And God knew his people, Israel, as they escaped Egypt and went in to to capture a land, to acquire a land that God promised them. God knew that these people are going to encounter cultures, nations, and other people who did not know and frankly did not care about serving the real God. God knew that his set-apart people were going to go through the wilderness and encounter multiple different nations, peoples, who did not care or did not know about the customs of God. So instead of God allowing his people to assimilate and adopt the customs and cultures of these other people, adopting these practices, these people that did not know or care about God, God instructs Israel on how his people are to act and operate differently, to be set apart in the context of other cultures and other communities from these people they would encounter, to be a people of God within other cultures that did not recognize or want anything to do with God. And I think, honestly, the Old Testament and the Ten Commandments and all the Levitical laws, I mean, I'll be honest, when I get to my Bible reading, I'm like, oh my gosh, I put on the little Bible plan in my car, like times ten, and the guy's like, you know, like (laughs) rolling through the walls. I'm like, I read them. God, aren't you happy with me? Like, how great. Couldn't tell you a single thing I just listened to, but... But I think like we don't give them enough credit. And now we don't have time to go into this, but if you really look into it and research it, we see the law in the old covenant as old and antiquated and these like Neanderthal kind of people walking around with these primitive set of rules and regulations. But if you really research the time and the place and all the surrounding cultures and communities, this was one of the most and still is to this day innovative and progressive and, and, and safe laws governing any nation that we've ever heard of in this time. They had laws concerning women and children, which very like seldomly existed in other cultures. They had laws dealing with orphans and widows, which in most cultures they would just murder. But God gave them laws on how to treat these people. They had laws protecting foreigners and immigrants, unheard of. Normally, if you were an immigrant or a foreigner in another nation in this time, you immediately became a slave. Not so with God. He had laws protecting these people. If you were an outcast, orphan, widow, or foreigner in Israel, that was where you wanted to be. The law was phenomenal. And it was to set apart a people amongst other nations for himself. For God and for his purposes. We're gonna to jump to the prophets real quick. I promise we're wrapping up here. Um, this is a widely and gross oversimplification of uh, the prophets, all of the prophets of the Bible. But basically, as Israel was no longer a wandering people, but they had established themselves as a nation with a kingdom. Um, every once in a while, they wouldn't do what God said to do within the Ten Commandments and the 613 following. Actually, not once in a while. Pretty much all the time, they were never listening to what God had told them to do to be a people set apart for himself. And so God would raise up and send out a prophet and say, hey, Remember when God said at the mountain and Moses came down and his face was glowing and he had these tablets and he said, do this and you'll be my people. He said, hey, don't have any other gods. Why are you worshiping all these other gods and images? God said not to do that. Why are you doing that? That is not what a people set apart for God and his purposes do. Or hey, remember how in the law God gave you, he told you how to treat these, these immigrants and these foreigners that come into your nation. Why are you not treating them this way? Why are you treating them in ways that God did not tell you to treat them? Why are you behaving in a way that God did not tell you? That is not how a people set apart for God and his purposes behave. So God would raise up prophets and seeing how these prophets saw that no human was able to fully embrace God's vision for what it meant to be a people set apart. But just like in the garden, we would continually fall short and rebel and choose our own way. Eventually, the prophets would point to a day when God himself would come on our behalf and Jesus would do what we could not. He would truly mend the gap created by our rebellion in the garden by giving up his life on a cross, paying the price for our sin, but then raising again on the third day to offer us true and new life. The prophets saw that humans couldn't keep the law that would set people apart to be God's own people. And so they pointed to a day when Jesus would come and do it on our behalf. So that through Jesus, we now can and should truly be a people set apart for God and his purpose. And as followers of Jesus, I think we like innately know that. I think that when we choose to follow Jesus when we get baptized and when we learn about God and his word, we know there's just something deep within our soul that says we should be different. There's something about our life that should be changing. Even even Jesus in in his prayer in John 17 said this, hey, you're not of this world and you don't belong to this world anymore. But he says, God, I don't ask you to remove them from the world, but that you keep them and protect them, sanctify them in the truth, set them apart Jesus is praying the prayer that is the narrative all throughout Scripture that God wants a people set apart for himself. Set them apart for your purpose and make them holy. When we follow God, we know that we are made to be set apart as a people for God's purpose. But the way we've gone about doing this, in my opinion, I think is kind of interesting. That's a little comical. I was thinking about this, and I really think that primarily, at least in my lifetime, there's been two major, like, ways methods that we as a people have tried to like set ourselves apart in 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 relationship to culture the first way um, is called what I call the Christian subculture technique on how we try to set ourselves apart and the second is the surprise technique that we'll talk about here in a second but the the Christian subculture technique is this we know that we should be different right we know that we should be different. So what we do is we kind of like sit down in our house with our binoculars and kind of scope out what the world and culture is doing, and we shun every single thing that we see like the world and culture doing. The Christian subculture champions things like full-body one-piece bathing suits and rash guards, little like sun guard things for guys with the little turtleneck, you know? <laughs> hey, my daughter's going to have to wear one. She is... Not just pale, she is translucent like her dad, so my daughter's going to have to be in one of those little swim things. The Christian subculture loves to champion complete abstinence from alcohol, believing that even Jesus himself and his followers drank non-alcoholic wine, which is very interesting because there's nowhere hinted to or alluded to in the Bible. The Christian subculture loves to champion creating their own clothing, films, and TV shows, and music that avoid anything close to profanity, sexuality, or rhythm. <laughs> I was hoping you guys would get that, and I'll not leave me hanging. <laughs> Often the result of Christian subculture is exclusivity, judgmentalism, feeling better than somebody because you don't partake in fill-in-the-blank, or creating an us versus them mentality with the world. The second way and the more popular way in recent years is what I like to call the surprise technique on on how we try to relate to, to culture. We know that we're supposed to be set apart, but we're terrified of being weird right we know we're supposed to be set apart but we're terrified of being weird and so we fully embrace everything the culture is into in the moment so that we can seem relatable and cool I'm a cool mom right like (laughs) we want to be relatable and cool we don't want to be weird uh the the surprise technique in this loves the phrase in the world but not of it Mm, I'm in the world but I'm not of it you know what I mean no, because if you weren't in the world, you would be dead. Like there is no like, in, like, that is the most obvious phrase in the entire, in the world but not of it. Yes, you are in the world. You have no other choice but to be in the world. You're misconstruing what Jesus said in John 17. Like in the world but not, like the surprise technique loves the in the world but not of the world. Bathing suits, who needs bathing suits, right? Am I right? Alcohol? Love getting blacked out on the weekend. That's so cool. I love it. I love throwing up over my toilet every every Saturday and Sunday morning. TVs, movies, music, the dirtier, the more vulgar, the better, right? I'm a cool Christian. That's awesome. Like, and then once we know that we've related to somebody, once we know that we've made that connection and they know that we're not weird, surprise! I'm a Christian! You never would have guessed, right? Like, There is nothing about my life that signifies that I follow Jesus in any way, shape, or form. Like, surprise, I'm a Christian. The surprise technique. I'm cool, man. I'm not like all those other Christians. I'm a cool Christian. But the surprise technique has often resulted in blurred lines between sin and holiness. Repeated compromise in ways that we should be living our life to honor God. And indistinguishable differences between people set apart by God for his purpose and the world and the culture that we live in. Neither of we these ways that we've gone about trying to be a people set apart accomplish or capture the heart of why God so desperately wants a people set apart for himself. So the logical question would be then why? If we see since the beginning of creation that God has been setting people apart, calling people to be a people set apart for himself and for his purpose. Why does God so desperately want that? Why does God want followers of Jesus? Why does God want you, not just as an individual, but us as a community of young adults? Why does God want us to be set apart and be different from our world and our culture? Is it for the sake of just being different? No. I'm sorry, I forgot. Band, you guys can come on up. That was smooth, right? Is it so that, does does God want a people set apart so that we can have this sense of moral high ground and this sense of like moral betterness than everybody and we can look down on people that don't act or believe or think the same way that we do? No, that's not why God wants a people set apart. Is it so that we can finally prove to God that we love him and that in some weird, obscure way that we kind of deserve the, the, the gift of grace that God's given us. That we know, like in our subconscious, we don't really earn it or deserve it. But if we're really set apart, if we really act and behave, we can kind of earn a little bit where he's like, hey, your sin was pretty bad, but good job. You know, like you, you kind of earned it. Nobody else did, but you kind of earned. Is that why God wants a people set apart for himself? No. Well, then Why? Why is God so passionately on this mission to have a church, to have a community, to have a group of people set apart for himself? Jesus says in John 17, he says, so that the world may believe without any doubt that you sent me. When Jesus prays for the believers, not just in his life right then and there, but for us in John 17, when Jesus prays for you, He says that you're not of this world. He doesn't want God to take you out of the world because you would be dead, but you're in the world. He wants you to be different, to be set apart, to be holy, to be unlike the world or the culture that you live in. Why? So that they could look and see that God sent Jesus for us without any doubt. God wants a people set apart for himself so that he can display his goodness, his mercy, his favor, his love, his peace, his grace in such a way on us that the world would look in and say, oh my gosh, I want that. I want what they have. I believe at such a deep soul level that the world genuinely wants what Jesus has to offer. And I believe at an equally deep level that we have been set apart, different from our world, different than our culture, so that we can display the goodness of God to a broken and dying world. So that we can show people what it means to be a people of God, a people of peace, in a world of turmoil. So that we can show the world what it means to be a people of modesty, in a world of excess, We can show people what it means to be a people of generosity in a world with an insatiable thirst for more. We can be a people that gives value in a world that loves to take advantage of or use people for its own purposes. We can be a people of freedom in a world in bondage. People want this. People want what God wants when he sets people apart. People want marriages that don't end in divorce. My little girl wants to know that her mom and dad are gonna be together forever like God designed us to be. Man, people desperately wanna be valued not just for what they can do or for what they look like, but for who they were innately created to be by God. Image bearers, reflections of God himself in this world. People want peace in a world filled with anxiety. People want to actually be free. And not just jump around from one addiction to the next addiction and get this one figured out. But now I'm addicted to this pill and I got this situation figured, but now I can't stop looking at People want to be free. People genuinely want the kingdom of God. And we are set apart so that the world may see what God has done for us. And so that they can look in and say, I want that. And we can reply, hey, oh, I have good news for you. You want what God wants for a people set apart. Oh, I have good news for you because of Jesus. You can have it. Man, because of Jesus, you can be welcomed into the people God is setting apart for himself. Listen, I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. I didn't work hard enough. I didn't pray long enough. I didn't fast for a certain amount of time. My rights definitely don't add up to be more than my wrongs. It is only because of Jesus that I am set apart to be a people of God, set apart for his goodness, set apart for his mercy, set apart for his blessings so that the world can look in, not just on me, but on us and say, what is it about this community that is different? I can't find what they have out there and I want it. And we can say that's awesome because you can have it if you trust in Jesus, you can have it all. You can be a part of the one set apart for his purpose. Young adults, would you stand? Over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna get practical and talk about how we as a people are set apart for God and his purpose. We're gonna talk about what it looks like to be a people of God, a community of God that, that matches the heart of God, that draws other people in, that's a witness to our world. But I just think I need to tell some of y'all tonight, did you know you were created to be set apart? You were made to be different. Listen, stop trying to balance this life of, I'm kind of a Christian here, but not really there. Your soul is probably exhausted. Your soul is probably gasping for air because you're rebelling against its intended nature to be different, to be set apart by God. To be blessed beyond your wildest measure doesn't mean everything is going to go right in this life for you, but it means that you have God in every situation that you ever walk through. Young and all, you were made to be set apart and be different. Embrace this call of God on your life as an individual and for us as a community of Red Rocks Church to be set apart to show the world God's goodness through our life. We're about to sing in a moment, but I want to read this over you because, like I said, this, this theme echoes throughout the entire scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And this is one of my favorite verses, section of verses, when it comes to what God wants us to be, a people set apart. It's this, 1 Peter 2.9 says this, you're a chosen people. You, in this room right now, you're a chosen people. You might not feel chosen. You might not have had parents that have told you you were chosen. You might have mental battles in your head, wondering if you are even here for a reason. You are a chosen person. You are a royal priesthood. You are royal. You are priests of God to this world. You are a holy nation. God's special possession. That is who you are. You are set apart so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. At one time you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, like Jesus said, you don't belong to this world. Abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives. Among the world, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits your chosen, your royal priesthood, your holy nation. There's perfect, there's purpose and destiny on your life, not just as an individual, but on us to show the world that God is good through how we live and love one another. Can we pray and we're gonna worship. Father God, what an honor it is to be the people of God. What an honor and a privilege it is to be set apart by you for you so that you can display your goodness and your mercy in our life, so that you can display your grace, your unreasonable love in us so that the world can see it and want it and so that we can welcome those who want it into the family, to be set apart, to be holy, to be chosen, not because of what we've done, but because of what you've done. So tonight, if you're in here and you say, man, I want to be different. Maybe you've been living your life walking this tightrope of Christian but not enough Christian or I don't know. Or maybe you don't know God. Maybe nobody has told you that God has designed in your DNA for you to be different. For you to be a holy priesthood, a a royal people set apart by God. Man, if that's you, if you're like, I want to be different, I want Jesus, would you just slip up your hand real quick? If you're in here and you're like, I want to be set apart for God's purposes, I want God to use me. I want God to choose me. I want to be set apart. I want to be different for God. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. Amen. Can I tell you that heaven right now is welcoming you home? The Bible says that all you have to do is put your faith in Jesus to believe that he is God, to believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that he was raised from the dead, and you're in. You're chosen. You're set apart for the goodness of God. Jesus, we love you so much. Thank you for tonight. We cannot wait to worship you as a set-apart holy people unto you and to take the news of what you've done into this world. It's our joy and our honor and our privilege to be with you tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said amen and amen. Love you guys.